Amen. Wow. I just want to sit there and soak some more of that up. Genesis 31 tonight. Genesis 31. What we sang about tonight, what Nicole said, what Nicole prayed, just lines up so beautifully with the passage tonight. If I titled this passage, in fact, I think this was the title I chose for the podcast title on our web page, I chose the God of Bethel, and we'll get to that in a few moments, but the reason why God identifies himself to Jacob in this chapter as the God of Bethel is because he wants to remind Jacob, I'm unchanging. I'm the same God that met you there, that has sustained you through all of this, and will carry you through the rest of your life. And that's such an important principle that we're going we're gonna to stay there for a little while tonight as we get to that point. But we open up the chapter where after 14 years of laboring under Laban, it's been a long journey for Jacob, right? Now, obviously, some of what Jacob has suffered, if you will, some of the consequences uh, that he's had to deal with is his own decisions, right? But we also know that Laban has also had something to do with Jacob's pain and suffering, if you will. And so Jacob has spent 14 years serving Laban, his father-in-law. And even in the previous chapter, he shared there, he had a desire to go back to his homeland. And we see now at the beginning of chapter 31 that he basically shows us three reasons why his heart was moved to take that journey back to his homeland. And we are also reminded here, like we have been throughout the book of Genesis, that people move to what they hear, which again is why you and I need to just be so careful about what our ears are opening up to. Are we hearing the right things because you and I will move to what we hear? So notice, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were complaining about him. Jacob has taken everything that belonged to our father. He's gotten rich at our father's expense. So he's hearing the, the dislike Maybe a little envy and jealousy there from Laban's sons. The second thing, verse 2, he also saw the look on Laban's face. You and I speak without speaking. We say as much by our nonverbal communication as we do our verbal communication. And for the very first time, Jacob saw something on Laban's face, and he knew, as it says there at verse 2, that Laban's attitude had changed. He had a different look when he looked at Jacob than he had ever had previously. 
Now, those two things alone could have caused Jacob to move and to say, I'm out of here. Like many of us, sometimes we have moved in our life. We have changed our circumstances because of the unfavorable circumstances that we're in. We're, we're trying to escape, right? And that's very human. But as a person of God, we must never change our circumstances or move simply because we don't like our circumstances. Because sometimes God has a purpose for wanting to, us to stay in those uncomfortable circumstances. In fact, we even know from the book of Genesis, when he met Hagar, and Hagar was running away from Sarah and Abraham, he said, I need you to go back. Even though it's going to be uncomfortable, even though there's going to be tension there, I need you to go back. So there's times where we need to just sit in it. And we don't like that, but we need to do it. Think about David. Even though he was anointed king, waited on the Lord's timing to bring that about and had to endure Saul. Many times, we're going to see in a couple weeks as we start our series on Joseph out of the book of Genesis, one of my favorite Bible characters, all that Joseph went through, God had a purpose for it. So God doesn't always want us to escape our circumstances. There are things sometimes that he does in our uncomfortable circumstances that grows us like nothing else, that strengthens us to carry on more responsibility later. The main thing that we, the people of God, should move by is what we see in verse 3. And that is that the Lord, Jehovah, capital L-O-R-D, said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your relatives. We move primarily to the voice of God. We move to the moving of God. And sometimes that will be because of circumstances and sometimes it won't. But that is ultimately what guides us and directs us is the voice of God. And that's where Jacob was at. And notice, the Lord said, return to the land of your fathers and your relatives. God will not lead us away from something without leading us to something. Make a note of that. God will never lead you and I out of something without leading us to something. God is never going to just lead us out and let us hang. You know, even like he did later on in the book of Exodus with his own people out of Egypt, he brought them out of Egypt to bring them into the promised land. When God leads you and I out of something, he always has another place to lead us into and then notice this, five very important words that God reiterates and reassures Jacob of. I will be with you. I was with you in the past. I am with you here in the present. And I will be with you in the future. God's presence is enough. If God says, I'll go with you, then we can go anywhere as long as God is going with us. So beginning in verse 4, Jacob repeats the details 
of actually what happens in the previous chapter, chapter 30, but he does so from his own perspective as he <clears throat> relates this to Rachel and to Leah. So it says, Jacob sent a message for Rachel and Leah to come to the field where his flocks were, and then he says to them, and he recounts this. Now what I want to stop here for a moment and, and say to all of us is this, and Nicole just nailed this. I, I was like, wow, you know. Again, the spirit working here, aligning things. Jacob is telling his story. He is recounting his story of these last couple of years, right, with Laban. As he does so, it helps him to recall to mind God's faithfulness to him. It's important that we learn to tell our story, and to take time to go back, even if it's just to go back a little ways, not that we have to go back through our entire life, but just go back a little ways and begin to recount our story. Because as we do so, it will bring to mind, as we've sung so much about tonight, the faithfulness of God. And that's exactly what we see here in chapter 31. Notice in verse 5, he says, There he said to them, I can tell you that your father's attitude toward me has changed, but the God of my father has been with me. The great and mighty God, God, Elohim here, not Jehovah, L-O-R-D, capital, but God, Elohim, the great and mighty God has been with me. And he's testifying to that fact. He's recounting his past, and saying, I have seen the hand of God in my life and on my life. God has been with me. And what I want us to just pause for now a moment and to see is this phrase that is often used throughout this chapter, and then we'll hit them as we come to them later, but I want you to see this. And it's really the phrase, but God. And you and I could all say that. My life, da, 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 but God. And it's the idea that if it wouldn't be for God or if God wouldn't have intervened or God wouldn't have done this or not that whatever, God makes all the difference. And Jacob is realizing that anew as he tells his story. That's why it's important that you and I tell our stories because in them we can recount the faithfulness of God. So the first time you see but God is verse 5, then go down to verse 7. But God, you see it there in verse 7. Then if you go over to verse 24, you see the first two words. But God came to Laban. Then over in verse 29, I have the power to do you harm, but the God of your father. And then if you go over to verse 42, but God saw how I was oppressed. Over and over again in this chapter, the phrase, but God. And I, I use that phrase like they do, just again to remind all of us when we begin to recount our lives and how God has shown up over and over and over again, we could do the same thing. I was going down this road, but God. This could have happened to me, but God. God did this, God did that. That's what Jacob is doing, and that's why it's important that we pause in our life and take time not only to praise God, but in a sense to build a, a foundation and fuel for praising God 
is to just remind ourselves of how faithful God has been and how much he has shown up and made a difference in each of our lives up to this point. And we all could say that, right? Because we all have a story to tell. So notice then back in verse 6. He tells his wives, you know that I've worked for your father as hard as I could, hard worker, but your father has humiliated me and changed my wages ten times. But God has not permitted him to do me any harm. It is a reminder to us that God chose to bless Jacob and nothing, as we saw last week, that Laban could do, humanly speaking, was going to thwart the blessing of God upon Jacob. It was not going to thwart the plan or purpose of God. And you and I can take heart with that. When God wants to do something in our life, no one or nothing can thwart God's plan or purpose for us. If God wants to bless you, if God wants to bless us, there is nothing no one can do to thwart God's blessing. God is greater than all, but God, but God. In fact, as I'm even standing here tonight saying this, I, thought, I, I think I need to make like a, a sign that just I hang up in my, but God, just as a reminder about the difference that God makes. Then verse 8, if he said, as we saw last week, the speckled animals will be your wage. Then the entire flock gave birth to speckled offspring. But if he said the streaked animals will be your wage, then the entire flock gave birth to streaked offspring. In this way, God has snatched away your father's livestock and given them to me. Everything Laban tried to do to protect his own interests, as we saw last week, ended up being a blessing to Jacob. Because God doesn't take kindly to try to manipulate him or to, no matter how much we try to stack the deck, as if we think we're in control. And Laban is a God worshiper. Not a great one, but he is. And yet, he was not at a place in his life ever where he trusted God to provide for him. He always was taking matters into his own hands and felt like he had to be in control of everything. That is a lack of faith. You and I need to learn to relinquish control to God and trust him. If God wants something to come into my life, if God wants to bless me in some way, if God wants to give me something in some way, God wants to promote me or exalt me in some way, he wants to change my... God can do it. And he can do it quickly, without any effort. God can do it, but God. Verse 10. Once during breeding season, I saw in a dream that the male goats mating with the flock were streaked, speckled, and spotted. And in the dream, the angel of God said to me, Jacob, here I am, I replied. Then he said, observe that all the male goats mating with the flock are streaked, speckled, or spotted, for I have observed all that Laban has done to you. Now, a couple things before we move on. Notice in verse 11 that this angel is referred to as the angel of God and later on, he identifies himself, verse 13, as God. So this is not just an angel. This is a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. This is the angel of God, the angel of the Lord, you see. When it's a mere angel, just, a, just an angel, You'll see many times where a human being may try to worship that angel and the angel freaks out and goes, no, no, don't worship me, I'm just an angel. But when it's the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord receives and welcomes worship. And if you're also trying to figure out, is this just 
an angel or the angel of the Lord, many times, like in this passage, the angel of the Lord or of God will identify himself and say, I'm God. I'm God. So this is an appearance of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And why that's important, and I think I've shared this with you before, is we have come to a place even in Christianity, even in our Bible colleges and seminaries, even some of the solid Bible colleges and seminaries, where it is no longer taught that Jesus appeared in the Old Testament. That's important. That's important. And I want my flock to know Jesus did appear in the Old Testament. Then he said, again, observe this. And notice in verse 12 that God is reminding Jacob, I am the God who sees, just as he did with Hagar. Hagar was blown away because God saw her. Who am I? Hagar. I'm this slave woman. I'm nobody. I'm out in the middle of nowhere, and yet God sees me because God always sees us. And here God is saying, I saw how Laban treated you, and I overturned what Laban tried to do. I intervened, and God can always do that. Again, that's why we just need to trust him. He doesn't need anyone or anything. He can do it himself because he sees everything that everybody does to us just like he sees everything we do to everybody else. He sees it all. He observes it all. And then he says this, verse 13, to him. Very important. I am, which we understand that phrase, right? I am. I am the God of Bethel where you anointed the sacred stone and made a vow to me. Now leave this land immediately and return to your native land. Why, out of all the things that God could have said to Jacob at this point, why does he refer to himself as, remember, I'm the God of Bethel? Because Bethel was the first place Jacob met God face to face. It was really the first encounter that Jacob had with God. And God is saying, remember who I was back then? Same God now. The same God who brought you this far. 14 years I've sustained you. I've strengthened you. I've been with you. I've intervened. I've seen everything that's been done. The same God that you met there what God would say to us is the same God that I was when you called on me to save you. The same God that I was when you first met me in your life. I am still at this point in your life, at this season in your life, in this struggle in your life. I'm still the same God. And the same God that's brought you from this point to this point is going to be the same God that takes you from this point all the way through. I'm the same. So I love that first song we sang tonight, Unchanging. You see, by God referring to himself here as the God of Bethel, he's basically declaring his immutability. That's that big theological term that basically means God can't change. God has an unchanging nature. It's why the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that should be a great comfort and encouragement to us because as human beings in this world, the only constant is change. That's the only 
constant thing is everybody and everything is always changing. The only stable thing, the only secure thing, the only person that we know that cannot change and will not change over time, no matter what, is our God. And that's why our security and stability has to be in him, because he is unchanging. The same love he had for you when you first called on him to save you is the same love he has for you now and the same love he will have for you all the way until he sees you throughout eternity. The same power that delivered you from this in your life is the same power that can deliver you from this at this point in your life and the same power that can deliver you from whatever is to come. The same strength that sustains all of this. It's always there and it's always the same. God is always the same. And he wants Jacob to just get that again. Because Jacob still has a lot of challenges ahead. He's got to go back and face his brother, who the last time they were together, he wanted to kill him. He's got to deal with that. He's got to, he's got to deal with this thing that's hanging out there. And as much as he's had a struggle with Laban... He's got another struggle coming. And God wants to remind him, I'm with you, as he already said, and I'm the same God that met you there. And I'm the same God that's been faithful over these 14 years. You've seen, you've seen my hand. You've testified to it. But God, but God. And so if you know that I'm the same God now, I'm the same God that's going to take you from this point all the way through the rest of your life. Trust me, God is saying. And God is saying the same thing to us. Then, a very sad portion of this story, verse 14, 15, and 16. Sadly, Laban, according to his own daughters, cared more about material things than he did a relationship with his own daughters. Because notice what his daughters say about Laban in these verses. Verse 14, Rachel and Leah replied to him, Do we still have any portion or inheritance in our father's house? Hasn't he treated us like foreigners or strangers? He not only sold us, but completely wasted the money paid for us. Surely all the wealth that God snatched away from our father belongs to us and to our children. So now do everything God has told you to do. They express their willingness to Jacob to follow whatever the Lord directs Jacob to do. They'll, they'll go along with it. Because as far as they're concerned, the way their father has treated them they don't really have a relationship with him because he spent his life always just trying to get more and more material things and poured his life into that rather into the relationship with his own daughters. Ooh, that's a sad commentary. Verse 17, so Jacob immediately put his children and his wives on the camels. He took away all the livestock he had acquired, all the movable property he had acquired and accumulated, and he set out toward the land of Canaan to return to his father Isaac. While Laban had gone to shear sheep, Rachel stole the household idols that belonged to her father. What? What's going on here? Now all of a sudden you got this thrown in there. What is Rachel doing? Well, let me tell you what I think she's doing. She's not stealing these idols because they need it materially. To me, there's only two reasons why she's stealing it. She's trying to get back at her father or idolatry 
is so deeply seated and ingrained in this family that they're still at that point in their walk with God where it's like part worship of God, part worship of idols. And I can certainly understand that because as Christians, many times we struggle with being all in with worshiping God, and we can tend to have idols in our life still, too, that we hold on to. And so maybe it's just, oh, I'm taking these idols, you know. So they left, right? Verse 22, three days later, Laban discovers that Jacob had left because he didn't tell him. And so he took his relatives with him, pursues Jacob for seven days, and caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. Then we come to verse 24. But God, God is standing in between Laban and Jacob, and he's protecting Jacob, just as he promised he would, because God is faithful. He comes to Laban in a dream, and he warns him, be careful that you don't bless nor curse Jacob. Now, we get the curse, right? Don't curse him. Why would God tell Laban not to bless? The word here is a word that God is using to say, don't go to Jacob and, and, and give him this sweet deal. Because God knows Laban. Laban's all about business. He treats his daughters that way. It, it's all about business with Laban. And so God is saying, when you catch up with Jacob... Don't offer him some sweet deal to get him to come back. Don't curse him and don't bless him. I'm warning you. And so again, what is God doing? He's standing between Laban and Jacob. This perspective will come into play later on in the chapter. The reason I bring that up, God does the same thing with us every day. We don't even know the unseen evil spirit entities that God may send an angel or himself and stand between us and that evil or that accident or that God is always standing between his people and something or someone else. There's times where he lets it go, like Job, and says, Satan, He's yours, just don't do this or whatever. There's other times where God says, no, I'm standing between. I'm not going to let you touch them. I'm not going to let that happen to them. And he stands between us and whatever that is. Again, because we can trust him, because he's faithful, you see, but God. So Laban overtook Jacob, verse 25, and when Jacob pitched his tent in the hill country, they came to each other, and Laban is pretty ticked. Verse 26, I'm not going to read all of this because I want to get to the end of the chapter, but basically he's saying, why did you deceive me? Why did you leave without saying goodbye? I didn't get to kiss my daughters. Yeah, yeah, you know, the type of thing. <laughs> You've acted foolishly. And then verse 29, I have the power to do you harm, but God, the God of your father, told me last night, be careful, be careful. So I know I, I don't want to cross a line here. And then Jacob basically says, well, here's why I left secretly. You know, you, you've done nothing but treat me terrible up to this point. And so I just, just wanted to leave without any further conflict, right? Then Laban entered Jacob's tent because, in verse 33, he had seen that some of his household idols were gone. 
And now he's ticked. He thinks Jacob has stolen them. Well, we know Jacob didn't steal them. In fact, we learned from this passage, Jacob didn't know anything about it. Rachel did this all on her own. And she's pretty shrewd because she hides them, in a sense, underneath her cloak as she's sitting on this animal, right? And Jacob, er, Laban goes all through the tents of all of them. He, he and his you know, cohorts, they're, they're searching everywhere, and they can't find them. And Rachel basically uh, says, I can't get up because I'm on my monthly cycle. So, sorry, can't search there. And so she hides him in a place where they can't be found. Jacob becomes angry because no idols are showing up, and he's basically saying, you're again accusing me of something that I didn't do. Once again, you're abusing me, you know. And so he and Laban are sort of having this out. You know, finally, all the frustration of all that he's had to put up with for 20 years from Laban, in a sense, is just spewing out of him because he's held a lot of it in, which is what happens sometimes when we hold it all in, right? In fact, notice verse 41. This was my lot for 20 years in your house. I worked like a slave for you, 14 years for your two daughters and six years for your flocks, but you changed my wages 10 times. Then notice verse 42 again. What is Jacob doing again? Recounting the faithfulness of God. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham, the one whom Isaac fears, had not been with me, you would certainly have sent me away empty-handed. But God saw that I was oppressed and how hard I worked, and he rebuked you or intervened on my behalf last night. By the way, we are never empty-handed with God. And I love what Jacob said. You would have, let, you would have saw that I was empty-handed, but God always never leaves us empty-handed. When we have him, we have all that we need. If God had not been with me, again, like the phrase, but God, how many of us, as we recount our life's story, could say that? If it wouldn't have been for God, I would have, my life would have went a whole different way. I mean, think about it. Many of us, some not, but some of us have been saved from a very early age. But now think about where would we be in life if we wouldn't have had God in our life at any How different would our life have been? How different would all of our lives have been if there had never been a time where we accepted Jesus Christ as our Savior? Where would we be right now? What would we be doing? I know one thing. I wouldn't be the pastor of an Oasis church, and you probably wouldn't be here on Wednesday night. Who knows if it wouldn't be for God? So Laban finally says in verse 43, you know what? There's no use in us going on and continuing to argue and fight with each other. You're going to go back to your homeland. I'm going to let you go. Let's, let's enter into a covenant or agreement of peace, and let's at least, if nothing else, let's agree to disagree, okay, at this point. So they take a stone, verse 45, they gather stones, they ate there by the stones, and basically they cut this covenant with each other. And Laban even says in verse 48, this pile of stones is a heap of witness of our agreement today. This is why it's called Galid. It is also called Mizpah because he said, and here's where I wanted to get back to, may the Lord watch between us when we are out of sight of one another. The word Mizpah literally means watch. And it's the idea that the Lord will look upon us and look out for us while we are apart. It's, it's a beautiful picture of, in a sense, God standing between us, but not now in a 
negative way to keep something from happening, but actually to connect us while we're physically apart. That's cool, isn't it? There's certain relationships that we have with people down here on earth that we've connected in such a way with them through the Spirit of God that we sense that connection with them even when we're physically apart from them. That is God, in a sense, watching between us while we are out of sight of one another. A beautiful, beautiful picture. And the end of the chapter, basically, they set this, you know, pile of stones up as a witness of their agreement. They offer sacrifices, verse 54, on the mountain. They invite relatives to eat the meal because, you know, that's what the people of God are always doing. They're always eating along with worshiping, right? And they ate the meal and spent the night on the mountain. And early in the morning, Laban kissed his grandchildren, his daughters goodbye, and blessed them. And Laban left and returned home. But the part of the story here in this isn't really about Laban or Jacob or Rachel or Leah. And all. It's about God. This whole chapter is about the faithfulness of God. It's about how God has sustained Jacob through all these years and how God will continue to sustain him because he said to Jacob, I will be with you. I am the God of Bethel. And that's the message that God wants to get through to each of us today, is I don't know where you are on your journey. I don't know what you're dealing with right now in your life, all of you. I don't know how much sustaining strength and all of that you need, but I know this. I know our God is with you. And I know that he is the same God who saved you, who's delivered you, who's sustained you, who's strengthened you, who's done all these things for you all through your life and brought you to this point. And God is saying to all of us today, the God who has brought you to this point and gotten you here is the same God you can trust to get you the rest of the way. The rest of the way. And God always wants us to see him in that way. Well, I couldn't help but think in verse 49, when it talks about the Lord watching between us when we are out of sight of one another, that I wanted to end by, in a sense, reading the blessing that the Lord gave to Aaron to share with the Israelites. And I'd like to end by blessing you all tonight and those of you who are watching tonight with these words from the book of Numbers. The Lord bless you and protect you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight that you are the God of Bethel. You're the God that we met when we first turned to you. You're the God who sustained us through our whole life up to this point who's brought us to this point in our life. And you are just reaching out to us saying, and I'm the same God that you can trust to get you the rest of the way. So Lord, I just pray that we will just continue to grow in our faith, to grow in our trust, to realize, God, that you are with us, that you are faithful. And God, just as Jacob did tonight, and just as Nicole encouraged us to do, God, May we take the time to recount 
our lives a little bit and to tell our story and, and to realize, Lord, just all that you've done for us. Because, Lord, when we do that, we begin to realize just how much you've been involved in our lives. We, we begin to realize that without you, oh my goodness, and all that you have done for us, but God, but God, but God, if it wouldn't have been for God. So Lord, I pray tonight that even maybe before we all go to sleep tonight, that we might take a few minutes and just take thought of some part of our life, whether it's recent or far in the past, and just take a little time to think about how faithful you have been to us and all that you have done for us to bring us to this point so that, God, we can even go to sleep tonight just praising you and thanking you for how faithful you are. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.